Good hey mate, 40 back again with philosopher and author Ronnie Goldman. Had a little bit of a technical glitch. We were discussing Sam Bankman Freed, and I just read Michael Lewis's new book, uh, Ronnie, and it mentions in his home they, they didn't they didn't celebrate birthdays. They they right. didn't seem to have much loyalty to tradition and to normal observances that uh, most people do to kind of shape meaning and and morality so any any reflections on that and possible significance well you know of course you know given uh the the work that i began uh as their fellow conservative claims of cultural oppression and the memoir that i then wrote in the same spirit about them obviously you know my tendency is going to be to view them through that lens and therefore to view that as confirmation of the worldview of the viewpoint that I articulated. So acknowledging that kind of motivated cognition on my part, nevertheless, uh, I will say that it is uh, consistent with my description of the liberal elite culture as, you know, elitist, not necessarily in the crude uh, sense uh, imputed by conservatives but in uh it's still in a in a uh human sense where they have this privileged uh naturalistic scientific perspective on the world where they can distinguish between you know brute reality actual reality and these sort of uh, uh artificial uh, contrived and potentially, you know, dangerous human meanings that have been arbitrarily uh, projected uh, upon them. You know, I, I discussed that uh, quite a bit in the uh, third uh, chapter of uh, conservative uh, claims. And uh, one could see their uh, disdain of uh, birthdays in, uh, in that light. There's no reason to uh, think that you know, such a day would, uh, has any real objective, uh, special significance for our lives. Just that they would say that, as you know, of, uh, of the Sabbath for Judaism or Sunday for Christianity or the, the wailing wall or, you know, various holidays of, uh, of, of, of all religions. They would just say these, this is just a point in, uh, you know, maybe not Newtonian, but Einsteinian space time. And that's, and that's all it is. And so as you can see there, uh, this date of, uh, of birthdays, um, you know, as uh, an affirmation, I guess, of that uh, elitism. And, you know, I could, I could say that, um, you know, I mean, people, and, and there's sort of, one thing I emphasize in the book is that, you know, this kind of uh, these pretenses to uh, scientific sophistication as an expression of an, an identity is is something over and above you know mere mere enlightenment. It's an affirmation of an identity. So you know I, I kind of feel like you know on on some level, yeah, I do feel the you know arbitrariness of uh you know special days and and places you know i'm kind of weird uh as as well i think in that regard but 
I don't I don't go out of my way to uh, to disdain them. You know, I'm perfectly fine. You know, having a you know, oh yeah, great. It's Thanksgiving or whatever the case uh, may be. I don't I don't make a you know. It's not immensely important to me, but I don't I don't make uh, you know if I was in an environment where that would be the natural thing to do, you know I would do it. You know it's not uh, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't make a, make an issue uh, of it. And you know if you're like a family growing up in Palo Alto, uh, you have kids, it'd be a natural thing to do to have, want to have a birthday party for your kid. You you can you know you can invite their friends, you can give out candy, you can play games. You would want to affirm that just for that reason alone. You know, notwithstanding the arbitrariness. So, but, so yeah, they couldn't go with the flow. Right. So th- there's there's a line between the Protestant Reformation, the Enlightenment, and Barbara Freed and Joe Bankman not celebrating birthdays. My own father, who had two PhDs, saw no significance really in birthdays or, or Christmas yeah. either. So there, there seems to be a straight line, this secularized reformist protestant tendency once secularized is that you increasingly do away with anything special about any particular day right these these protestant tendencies which you know certainly had had some role in catholicism as well you know how could how could they not but that generally created this kind of this sense of hierarchy there are those who can uh you know distinguish the objective and the subjective and there are those who cannot. And that's, 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 that's the hierarchy that developed in that context. And that is, you know, ultimately the hierarchy to which uh, conservative claims of cultural oppression um, are, uh, are, 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 are objecting. Certainly in my conflict with them, it was, again, you know, I wasn't like making the productivity that was expected. I think kind of saw me as like dreamy and in my own world. And again, I wasn't, rooted in that in that uh uh rigid dichotomy for them in a in a a fairly refined way in the academic context but again wherever wherever you go whether whether it be you know the burning of the american flag the celebration which you know i also discuss in the book the celebration of birthdays as i've just learned from you again i think that's kind of the most you can explain the most things from that that starting point, which I discuss in, 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 in the book more than, you know, it's not going to explain everything, but I think a lot more than, uh, than most other starting points. Right. And so what are the, what are the moral weaknesses or what are the, the, the hazards where, where can this type of buffered strategic autonomous reflexive enlightenment uh, strong believing in rationality and the inherent goodness of, of people. Where is this? Where are the dangers in this kind of outlook on life? One that comes to mind for me, particularly among academics, is that you become so enthralled by the abstract world in which you live that you lose touch uh, uh, with the repercussions of your abstractions on flesh and blood people. You lose touch, and one of the reasons why you can't uh, envision the repercussions being what they may turn out to be is that you don't see that this this dichotomy we've we've just been discussing between so you know there's there's the 
world as it is, the artificial socially constructed meetings that are you know superimposed on them, and they say, well, we can distinguish the two, but they they don't see. I think that the very act of distinguishing the two, of of positioning yourself as someone who uh, does uh, distinguish the two is you don't see that that very distinction, that very affirmation of the distinction is itself a manifestation of what I call in the book, in both books, um, a hero system. That is to say, it's, it's, it, it's kind of, you know, it, 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 to be Hegelian, I guess, yes, it sets itself in opposition to this ostensibly cruder, less sophisticated, uh, primitive, pre-modern way of of looking at things, but it doesn't see that this very setting itself apart is, you know, itself a kind of a permutation on on this primitivism. You know, that's something, you know, Nietzsche says, yeah, we, you know, we always see ourselves as more civilized, but this is a, uh, a concealing of the same, you know, underlying impulses towards uh, cruelty and distinction and and, and hierarchy that uh, you know we believe ourselves to have uh, to have to have overcome, and um, I I think um, so. Obviously, you know, in in, in my memoir, I, uh, I I detail how I think uh, that played out in uh, in, in in my. Uh, relationship uh to them but you know in in the case of uh the ftx fiasco i think it's maybe their uh failure to you know recognize uh the extent to which you know their own their their egos uh were you know invested in uh all of their decisions and 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 you know, I mean, I, I read some of the uh, reproduced emails in the complaint, and you know, I you kind of see like Barbara talking about you know how you should structure these gifts uh, to um, to her pack, or Bar or, or Joe talking about how to structure these gifts to Stanford. You can see they are like relishing in their purported you know acumen and circumspection, and you can do this. And there's this complication, you do that, there's that complication. So they are they are relishing in the buffered, buffered distance, you know, their their awareness of their entire social worlds, unlike the primitives, but they could not see by virtue of that the the big picture, the way their own hero systems were were driving them. Barbara to be a uh, a savior of uh, imperiled uh Democratic candidates, uh, Joe to be a, uh, a great benefactor of Stanford, Barbara as well in that regard, I would assume, uh, and, and just the, 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 to be, you know, the cruder pleasure of having, you know, a really nice uh, uh, mansion in the Bahamas with, a, you know, unobstructed ocean views for $16 million, you know, they couldn't see how all those things were uh, working, working themselves out because they had this image of themselves 
which they instilled, reproduced in their children, which that who then reaffirmed uh, their their self image, and uh, well, we know how it all panned out. So one thing you're saying is that uh, no matter how reflexive, strategic, autonomous, and and buffered an identity we develop, we never get to graduate from the very human need for ever increasing our status. I think so. You know, I mean, that's that's in the end. You know, we're all we're all kids on the playground uh, in the end. But you you know, just like you know, in 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 the same way that you know, modern warfare is ultimately a uh, an exceedingly uh, you know sophisticated uh, development on primitive warfare, where the you know the basic continuity is there. So you know, generally. With, uh, with 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 human beings, we still have these underlying impulses uh, with which we evolve, and they can take take astonishingly uh, complex uh, form, which can uh, apparently easily fool the uh, the the limitations of human conscious awareness. You know, but they're ultimately you know uh, yeah continuous with these primitive impulses. We might we might not want to acknowledge. And we also never get to graduate from the very human tendency to dismiss those who are different from us as less than human. Yeah, I mean, that is going to, um, it, 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 it can take, you know, various various forms. You know, in primitive societies, it required uh, no justification at all, or hardly any. You know, you just like label them a certain way. And that's it. As societies uh, develop in sophistication, you have to find rationalizations for that. I mean, you can think of, you know, obviously, obviously, that would be, would be uh, you know, scientific uh, racism in the West because the the economic benefits of slavery were uh, increasing uh, just as the appeal of Enlightenment principles were increasing, and they had to find a way. Uh, a way to to you to to reconcile that so and, and it can get you know far more you know refined than uh than than, than that and you know the, at, the, at the most refined level that's i think what i discuss in 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 in, in the book you know the very kind of i i guess sophisticated form of uh of snobbery one finds you know among the uh the academic elites which is you know as plausible deniability at uh, at every turn, uh, for sure, but which is uh, nevertheless readily readily sensed by conservatives and uh, and exists on some on some level, not not necessarily in the way conservatives understand it, but there's 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 a grain of truth there. Okay, anything else you want to hit on Sam Bankman Freed's story before we move on to the Middle East? I, I think I think that's it. Once once we uh, have a jury verdict, I think we can, uh, you know, re- revisit this issue. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Okay, uh, so it was two weeks and one day ago that uh, I woke up and heard about a horrifying massacre of Israeli civilians, more than fourteen hundred, on October seventh in southern Israel. Uh, about two hundred and fifty now have been taken captive by Hamas and uh, Israel's massing for a ground invasion of the Gaza Strip for the first time, of which I'm aware an American president has gone to a, a war zone 
and uh, just e- extraordinary decision it seemed to yeah. me for Joe Biden to go to Israel and embrace Bibi and essentially make make this war between Israel and Hamas now look like another American proxy war. So we've already got one American proxy war going on in Ukraine, where the United States has rallied NATO to go to war with Russia over Ukraine. Now we have the appearance of another U.S. proxy war with uh, Israel versus Hamas. Uh, so much to talk about here. Ronnie, what, what have you been thinking about with regard to this conflict? Well, you know, uh, quite quite a bit. I mean, I've been I've been glued to uh, you know YouTube and you know, the various websites. I uh, I love to. I uh, I called uh, my uh, my aunt on uh, Tuesday who lives in, uh, in Zichon Yaakov, which is where my uh, my mom used to live when she was alive, and I I lived there a few years. So you know, as I expected, because of where they live, which is you know uh, kind of in the middle between uh, Haifa and Tel Aviv, they weren't. Uh, weren't affected. Uh, um, my uh, my cousin, uh, he, he got he got called up for reserve duty, but they let him go after a few days because he was an um, he, he was he was I mean he was a combat soldier, but like an animal trainer. Uh, you know he would he would like an animal. He would handle the uh, like the, you know the the, the bomb sniffing dogs and uh, and so forth. But they didn't have a dog for him, so uh, they released him. So, you know, no, nobody in the family is going to get, uh, is entering Gaza. I know that. Um, though, you know, they could, uh, certainly if Hezbollah enters the fray, uh, they are, uh, certainly they can get, uh, they can get hit. I was actually, uh, in Israel in, uh, in 2006 during the second Lebanon war. And, uh, so the law program in Haifa, we got, we got rocketed by uh, Hezbollah. So we had to uh, move to Jerusalem, but where my mom lived at the time, was at rocket range, but uh, today that has changed. Uh, today they can probably hit pretty much anywhere. Uh, so it's a uh, it's a frightening situation. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, from my point of view, having having family there, you know, I am uh, I'm reassured to have those two, you know, aircraft carriers there. I don't certainly, I don't, I don't, I, I think any U.S. involvement should be a last uh, resort. But uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're their presence is not itself uh, intrinsically harmful, though. I mean, certainly, I would I would critique Joe Biden on uh, on certain fronts um, uh, because uh, you know my view is that obviously there is going to be retribution. There's no uh, there's no escaping that. But you know that is uh, that's not an excuse for uh, you know Israel to uh, revert to you know medieval uh, you know. Mongolian step rider uh, level of, uh, of 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 humanitarian uh, ethics. So I, I uh, even though uh, Biden did, you know, counsel restraint on uh, certain levels, um, you know, I, I I think he should have been more vocal about the, uh, you know, the initial, certainly the initial blockade of like uh, food, water, electricity, everything. Uh, I I think. Uh, you know, I, th- I think certainly Israel is uh, excessive in that regard, and I think uh, maybe maybe he did behind the scenes, maybe Biden or maybe behind the scenes, or is going to, or is now. Um, so uh, you know, I I I I would have preferred uh, more more uh, urging of caution there. Now, what about the trip itself? I can't imagine any other American politician flying to Israel so 
quickly and uh, except for perhaps Donald Trump because it just seems like such a gigantic act of hubris and it also seems to me to tie in to the liberal enlightenment frame of mind that the world is largely knowable that we can just apply our reason that we can be strategic and that we can conduct not just ethical promiscuous sex we can conduct you know ethical promiscuous wars and to me the president of the united states to, to fly to israel at a time like this and to embrace israel the way that joe biden has done is just the the height of irresponsibility as regard to america's best interests and it reflects a hubris mm. that, that depends upon a a post enlightenment you know belief in in the the great power of reason to to stir up this hornet's nest with the idea that you can then manage the hornet's nest or that you can you are so assured of your ability to contribute to managing this hornet's nest that you would go fly into the middle of the hornet's nest while from a, a trad perspective i don't have nearly as much power in the in reason and mm-hmm. I don't have nearly as much power that these kind of primal embodied emotions can be managed. I think they're you know, very likely to escape the leash of reason. And, and so from, from a trad perspective, I, I just have a much more tragic perspective on the human condition. And I'd be much less liable to, to think that the United States can manage the Ukraine war. Just like I'll go on for another minute here. Uh, Lyndon yeah. Baines Johnson would decide what targets would be bombed in North Vietnam. I mean, this is another example of this this belief in reason and power to successfully manage and strategically, autonomously, you know, decide a pin, you know, we'll bomb here and we'll bomb here, but we won't bomb here. And then the Biden administration, uh, they decide on which munitions they give to Ukraine so as to not exacerbate the situation but enable Ukraine to defend itself and they won't give cluster bombs and then they give cluster bombs and they won't give tanks, but then they give tanks and they won't give jets, but they'll do this. It, it just seems to be from, from a trap perspective, an astonishing amount of hubris to think that you can stage manage through the power of your reason, such, you know, primal life and death, you know, embodied experiences by millions of people. It's, it's the, to me, it's an exact analogy to liberal college campuses having uh, having policies of affirmative consent. So when you are starting to have an intimate relation with someone, you're, you're supposed to get affirmative consent. So you get right. consent to kiss her. You get consent to French kiss her. You get consent to unbutton her blouse. You get consent to massage her chest. You get consent to remove her brassiere. Right. You get consent to remove her pants. You get consent to touch her between her legs. You get consent to enter her. And if any time while you're entering her, she decides no, then you, even if you're 10 seconds away from orgasm, you are expected to immediately right. desist. And yeah. from a trad perspective, once you stop playing with these kind of primal emotions, these sort of sexual interactions outside of marriage, or you stop playing with these primal emotions of war, uh, you've, the, the primal feelings the embodied experience of the the people involved are very likely to overwhelm the best intentions of the most you know rational ethical approach. So I'm highly suspicious of uh, ethical approaches to promiscuity in both sex and in war. Any thoughts? 
Well, you know, so first of all, as just uh, the question of affirmative consent, just just uh, uh, I'm sure you recall, you know, I, I actually just discuss all that for for quite a number of pages as a, as another expression of, uh, of of the buffer distance, um, the hubris of uh, of reason in the uh, in, in the present context. Um, you know, now Biden could have, if, if the goal was deterrence, you know, if he had kept the carriers, you know, in the Western Mediterranean or not, or the Central Mediterranean, not right off the coast of Lebanon. And if, if, if sort of he had, you know, privately uh, warned Iran, don't, don't get involved, don't involve Hezbollah. You know, that still would have been, like, as effective. Like, it didn't need to be this huge public display. Now, the question of whether, you know, he should have done even what I was suggesting, that's another issue that can be debated. But the point is that if, if the goal was to deter other fronts, that could have been achieved much less performatively with, um, I guess, much much less of a risk of heating up passions in the manner you, you you've described and generating all these unintended and unforeseeable uh, consequences. Um, there is, even though, you know, Joe Biden is not uh, an evangelical, you know, one of these evangelical Christians, you know, like, you know, we still, you know, uh, defend Israel at all costs for the, for the second coming and all that. Even so, there is a, uh, uh, I, I kind of agree when, when you put it all together, his statements, his arrival, the aircraft carriers, um, it's, uh, there is a certain sort of uh, apoc- evangelical uh, apocalyptic thinking, even though it's not acknowledged, it's not explicit, Everything put, is put in, in secular terms, but it is like if there needs to be a final battle, uh, you know, so, you know, there there will be. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, they have said that, you know, it certainly doesn't doesn't the U.S. reaction to Israel discredit the U.S. with respect to uh, Ukraine. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know. Israel is not, notwithstanding, you, you know, the Palestinian successes on October 2nd, October 7th, you know, they are, they're not the underdog. You know, there's a certain meaning in Biden going to Keith to support, you know, the underdog. You know, we have your back, you know, whereas uh, Israel, you know, at, at the end of the day, they got control of the borders. At the end of the way, end of the day, they completely, you know, overpower uh, Hamas. You know, there's no the fact that there's no need for that show of support alters its 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 meaning and uh, and and its uh, its resonance for uh, for the Arab for the Arab world. I think that's that's for sure. So, do you believe that there is some sort of connection with? belief in post-enlightenment rationality and the power of reason and the power of, you know, strategy and Joe Biden, like uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, thinks that he can micromanage all these different wars. Is that an example of the the chutzpah of the liberal buffered identity? 
you know, I mean, I don't, um, you know, this, you could, I mean, you could find, I don't know that I, how much of it I would chalk up to the buffer identity just because, I mean, you know, you have uh, plenty of those attitudes I could also chalk up to the buffer identities who are going to be pro, pro-Palestinian and, and, you know, they're open, they have their own understanding of reason. We're just seeing through this, you know, Eurocentric uh, simulacrum of, of reason. And, you know, that has its excesses too, such as, you know, celebrating the Hamas attacks. So, you know, I mean, <clears throat> the buffered identity has, you know, can have in, in different contexts, they can have more or fewer, you know, permutations, you know. But I I'm think talking that- about the power of reason. All right. From a trad perspective, we, we have less belief in the power of reason to micromanage such primal conflicts as these sort of wars. Isn't that a much more of a, a liberal orientation to think that you can micromanage these type of wars? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't know enough um, to, you know, to, to assess, you know, what, you know, how certain Biden is of how much, you know, of the extent to which he can control things. I mean, there was certainly the need for a performance on on his part, which, you know, dichotomizes this, you know, Manichaean, you know, the civilized versus the the barbarian. I did, I did, I did see that. Um, you know, what level, what level of, uh, of hubris, you know, is he, you know, in, in his own predictive power and ability to control, um, was he, was he manifesting by sending to, to aircraft carriers. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. I'm. I'm not. I'm. You know. May, maybe you're right. I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay. Have you heard of a man named Tom Landry? He was a football coach. Okay. He was a football oh, yeah. coach of the the Dallas Cowboys. And All right. He was of uh, mainstream Protestant heritage, and he was the very stone faced and the opposite of showy. Uh, explicitly, but he always had to use these trick plays in, in the playoffs and the Super Bowl to try to show off how smart he was. And, and one observer said Chuck Knoll, who coached the rival Pittsburgh Steelers to four Super Bowl victories in the 70s, he just wanted to win Super Bowls. Tom Landry, it was e- equally important to him to be seen as a very smart man. And, right. and I think you see that in, in Joe Biden and in Donald Trump. Th- these guys are so similar to each other in that they have a desperate need to be seen as important and on the ground and you know making changes. I remember in 1985, I, I read an article in the New, New Republic by Britt Hume, who was then a correspondent for ABC News, and it was called Shut Up, Senator Biden. Because Senator Biden, for five decades, has had a reputation for being a motor mouth with a vast, you know, over-exaggerated sense of his own uh, capabilities. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think about, you know, people like Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden and, and Tom Landry, all these ways of trying to show off how, how smart they are. Uh, I mean, how, I mean, Nancy Pelosi flying to, to Taiwan, you know, could very well have precipitated some, you know, major military conflict 
between the United States and, and China. But right. the, the human desire for self-aggrandizement and for status will, will, you know, individuals like Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump will, will seemingly, you know, put the whole you know, future of the planet at risk to try to advance in status. It's just, you know, it's something you can't escape this, this yeah, human I, need for status. Go ahead. And I, and I guess this is sort of the, uh, the, the maybe the, the, the pettiest uh, expression of that lately. So, uh, yeah, I buy, you know, there was a whole controversy over uh, whether uh, Hamas had decapitated 40 babies. You know, yeah. uh, you know, that report came out. And I mean, certainly they, it seems like they, they may have the campaign. Some people, they certainly killed some uh, infants and children in gruesome ways. Whether 40 babies got decapitated, that's kind of an, uh, an open question. But, you know, it was, it was, it was put out there by a, uh, a right wing settler. And, uh, you know, the left uh, critiqued that, you know, for inflaming, uh, inflaming tensions and, uh, uh, at the end of the day, to my to my knowledge, you know, the official IDF itself did not confirm it. So I don't I don't think you know that's literally the case. You know, um, but uh, but Biden said like he had seen pictures of this in, uh, in and then his days. office retracted yeah. that and said he hadn't seen. Later pictures. on, he did. Yeah, they had to. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's nuts. That sort of. Uh, the president of the United States uh, it, 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 it inserts himself into this uh, very uh, unhelpful social media, you know, misinformation. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does it does no good at all because at the end of the day, then like you know, it's like it, it's used by Hamas, Hamas sympathizers to you know because that particular account is doubtful. Uh, you know, yeah, they will, they will, they will seize on that to suggest that maybe no atrocities of any kind happened. You know, total nonsense as well. So that was completely, uh, completely unhelpful, and yet, uh, and yet he did it. You know, Biden. When I when I look at his 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 face, I mean, it's kind of uh, it's blank in, in some way. So even though I I agree with your hypothesis, you know, hubris and arrogance. Uh, overweening confidence in the power of uh, of reason, you know. Yeah, it certainly it explains, you know, some things. But like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, what exactly is uh, going on in Biden's mind. Even even though, you know, I don't think he's been that bad uh, of a president. You know, I've agreed with his stance on Ukraine, and I think. Uh, domestically, you know, could have, could have been worse, you know, in these times, but, uh, well, I'm still living with the pain as a Dallas Cowboys fan in the 1979 Super Bowl against the Steelers. They were running the ball so effectively in their opening drive. And then Tom Landry had to call a triple reverse where the Cowboys fumbled and the Steelers took over and they just won the game 35, 31, but right. he, he couldn't be content with just running the ball. And, and Joe Biden just, Frequently and like and Donald Trump and and Nancy Pelosi and so many and Sam Bankman-Fried and Joe Bankman and Barbara Freed and Luke Ford and I'm sure Ronnie Goldman at time as part of our human condition we can't just be content with running the ball we always have to try that triple reverse and 
you know, just as often as not fumble the ball and, you know, the, the hubris that is uh, yeah. part of the Look, human condition. I, I, I mean, in, and, you know, I acknowledge it in the memoir. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it, it was, it was hubris. It was my own hubris that created, you know, the entire situation and, and um, on, on some level for better or worse, let's hope for better, but it, it created it. Um, yeah, so though that is uh, that is that is there, you know. And I, I don't know what Joe Biden is thinking. I mean, no, we'll, but, we'll, but what we'll we can do, do is see his, his his choices and and make deductions from there. But uh, one one of the great uh, parts of your book that uh, introduced me to the idea of hero systems. We all have a hero system. So uh, Hamas terrorists who were slaughtering Israeli citizens did not think that they were doing a bad thing. They were thought they were doing the will of God or the fulfilling the imperatives of their people, gaining uh, re- vengeance and justice on, on a people who had so viciously oppressed them. Uh, right. Can you articulate the, the hero system of those who slaughtered Israeli civilians, uh, I, those who, who didn't think they were doing bad things, those who thought they were doing good things, just like, I'm sure many Nazis believe they were doing good things by gassing Jews, and I'm sure many of the Hamas terrorists had a particular hero system that valorized what they were doing to Israeli civilians. Can you elucidate? Yeah, well, and, and I mean, also, I mean, let's, you know, there were, there were times during the 48 war and uh, the Israeli War of Independence and through to the 50s, where, you know, you did have, you know, Israeli military slaughtering a lot of civilians in a manner, Palestinians, you know, in, in, in a manner, you know, not, not so different from what we saw from Hamas. And that's not, that's not just Palestinian propaganda. You know, it's also been acknowledged by the Israeli government. You know, these things did, did happen. I think, maybe, you know, maybe the extent is exaggerated by the Palestinians, but it's 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 not the sort of thing that would emanate only uh from from the palestinians you know uh hero systems you know it can assume you know many many forms and one of the uh advantages of having uh power is that you can conceal your hero system or, or at least uh, conceal uh, the damage you're willing to create on behalf of of of, of, a, of a hero system, you know. And I would, you know, again. So when I talk about in the book, it's saying conservatives see symmetry where liberals see asymmetry. Meaning that liberals believe they've sort of categorically extricated themselves from this pre-modern uh, condition uh, into which conservatives, you know, remain remain mired, and, and the, the conservative objections. I know you are sort of implicated in the same thing. It's just kind of uh, of subtler and more sophisticated. And I think analogously to that. Well, what is what is Hamas going to say? They're going to say, you know, yeah, okay, you Israelis, you don't go door to door slaughtering civilians, you know, even though you, notwithstanding the the misconduct of the settlers in the in the West Bank, 
you, you know, but you did, you know, at one time to a certain extent under certain, you know, conditions where you felt it was necessary to your, uh, to your vital interests, uh, necessary to your uh, hero system, that being the, uh, the establishment of the state of Israel. And, you know, we, in the end, yeah, you know, we do things which you're not going to do today. You're going to drop a bomb. Uh, you know, we, we can only do so much damage to the military. But in the end, you know, again, Hamas sees, uh, like conservatives, you know, analogous leading conservatives, they see symmetry between themselves and the Israelis, uh, where the Israelis see asymmetry. I mean, I guess you, you can say that, that, you know, to graft the, the book onto the situation, it's sort of the, the Israelis who, you know, it, to the extent they're more moral, they're able to be more moral because of their power position Conservatives see that as a privilege of the, the Zionist terror system, uh, and there were nothing they really need to uh, take account of. Yeah, as someone coming from an Anglo-Saxon upbringing, I'm often shocked and appalled by the ethical shortcuts that uh, ethnics will take. That, that uh, many of my ethnic friends, from Asian to Armenian to to Jewish or to Persian or They'll do all sorts of ethical shortcuts that I would never dream of doing. So I had one girlfriend who, when her family left a tip for a waiter, she'd raid the tip and put it in her own pocket. Or they, you know, they would feel you know, uh, much more at ease with uh, you know, putting various things down on paperwork uh, that, that, were not, that were not true, right. uh, collaborating to cheat on tests. Uh, you know, all sorts of things would be highly frowned upon in the Anglo-Saxon tradition. Right. Uh, any thoughts on these different hero systems? Well, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, there's something, again, I don't know if you call it the Anglo-Saxon hero system or, you know, the, the Western uh, European uh, heroes. I mean, there were obviously, I guess, you know, psychological uh, changes in people's sense of themselves that um, allowed societies to see corruption as a problem and not just, you know, part of, you know, normal human relationships. I scratch your back, you know, you scratch, you scratch my back. I mean, you have to see uh, a certain, see the world in a certain very impersonal way, I guess, to to internalize uh, these these norms, as you know, some cultures have you know more than uh, more than others. Um, you know, I guess uh, you know whether you know. I think it's probably at the end of the day, probably you know more more comp. I mean, it's more probably more fine fine grained and more complex. Than uh, you know, crude designation of ethics of ethnic groups, you know, might might indicate. But obviously, you have certain practices that have taken you know deeper root in uh, in certain parts of the world uh, than, uh, than 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 others. You know, for all for all sorts of uh, of historical and uh, economic reasons. Now, 
one thing that's interesting about the, the news coverage of the the Middle East is how and, and and elite discussion of it and American foreign policy in general, American foreign policy in general, and I guess it's because America's a liberal, liberal, classically liberal nation, is it so moralized? Now, the way America acts is usually brutally realistic. So we entered late into two world wars and just you know somewhat mopped them up and and got all the the benefits while you know other yeah. nations you know lost millions and millions of people so we're often brutally realistic in our choices but the rhetoric we use is liberal universalist and so so much of the discussion around the arab israeli conflict is all about who's more moral and who's more legitimate and i just don't participate in this i'm purely interested in the in the realistic assumption of like who can hold what land uh, and, and who can, you know, who's going to have to give up what land. Uh, yeah. d- does the moralistic dimension of rhetoric in general about American foreign policy and particularly about the Middle East conflict, does, does that, is that something that's unique to the Anglo world, the first world to, to America? Does it jar you? Any thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I would think that the American uh, discourse on Israel, whether that of the left or the right, is certainly, you know, more moralistic than you can find among, you know, a number of, uh, of, of historical uh, Israeli leaders. So... You know, obviously, um, you know, you, you, there's sort of a, a range of views. You think, like, you know, the Ben Shapiro conservatives. You know, they they see you know any acknowledgement of uh, Israeli transgressions against Palestinians as just you know beyond the pale and a, a pretext for terrorism, uh, exceedingly uh, moralistic. In responding to that but you know the fact is that you go back all the way into the founding to the present day and you take you know a bunch of you know you take look at tough-minded israeli leaders generals mossad heads all these people they have kind of said in a very non-moralistic way a lot of the same things that the moralistic left says in, in, in its moralistic fashion. So, you know, Moshe Dayan, great, uh, great general uh, of, uh, of, of Israel, said of, uh, of Gaza, you know, after, after Israel got independence, you know, well, you know, how could they, uh, how could they not hate us? You know, they used to live out here in these nice villages. Now they're cooped up as, as a result of us. They are now cooped up in this urban hellhole, you know, how, how could they, looking on, not hate us? And you've got plenty of other examples of, you know, former Shin Bet chiefs saying, you know, we uh, either we are an apartheid state or, you know, we're, rap, we're sort of, you know, becoming that. But, you know, so you can find all of these acknowledgments um, among, uh, among uh, Israeli heads of states and, uh, and various luminaries. And the difference is that, you know, when they say these things, you know, to their mind, you know, that's that's how the sausage gets made. They can acknowledge the uh, historical realities without getting moralistic. They have 
this historical perspective that's a you know that's how the us was created uh that's how uh, australia uh was uh created through these various transgressions against uh, the uh, the indigenous people so the the israeli leadership is uh is not at all uh moralistic but uh in the context of uh of the us yeah you know you get uh every party gets 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 very much so yeah and uh i would have no problem understanding the establishment of the state of israel as being accomplished in in large part through ethnic cleansing through deliberate ethnic cleansing doing everything you can to drive out the, the Arab and Muslim residents who may have been there for, for many generations. And the only thing that stopped a complete ethnic cleansing of Arabs from what became the Jewish state of Israel is international outcry. Uh, would you have any quibbles with that? That, yeah, I mean, that, that's more or less accurate. You know, when, uh, when I grew up, I, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, I didn't, I didn't live in Israel, but you know, we spoke Hebrew at home and go back there for the summers. And the story I was always told, you know, there was uh, there was a war. They didn't recognize our right to exist. And then the uh, the, 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 the Arab states, surrounding Arab states, uh, told the Palestinians, you know, get out of there so we have a clear line of sight. We can shoot the Jews. And once we've done that, you can come back in. And they all, you know, gleefully pounced on that, and uh, and left to facilitate this this Arab invasion. But then they lost, and so why are they not allowed back in? Because they're being punished because they left, you know, not to escape bombs and and, and all these other things, but like solely to hurt hurt Israel. So that's kind of this myth that was there for uh, a, a while. That was the mainstream Israeli view. Um, that has uh, has largely been debunked uh, by uh, by Israeli historians, you know, not all of whom are necessarily that left of uh, of center. So, I mean, there is there is some debate. I mean, certainly um, there was during the Forty Eight War there was uh, a, a, an intent. That it would be a, a nice thing if we could like get as many of these Palestinians out of here uh, as possible. Uh, they didn't necessarily want to kill them, but there was the hope that they would be uh, scared into uh, leaving. There is, you know, disagreement about how explicit these orders were, how centralized the directive was. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, there, there's disagreement about well, was this the result of the fact that they didn't recognize Israel as a Jewish state? Or was it, you know, built into Zionism uh, it, it itself? So, you know, there is uh, there's some measure of disagreement, but certainly this, you know, this uh, this fairy tale that you know Israelis, you know, were traditionally told uh, from from the founding until uh, fairly recently is uh, is certainly uh, false. And, and at the end of the day, you could say, you know, it was inevitable because even even on the portion of the Palestine mandate, which the UN had reserved for the Jews, even there, the Jews were barely over 50% of the population. So, you know, they, they understood there was no way this Jewish state could thrive, you know, absent, absent uh, expulsions. And there had been like, you know, talk of that, 
for some time. They weren't necessarily sure what exactly they were going to do, but um, certainly once once the Palestinian hostility became uh, evident, uh, they were you know more than happy to you know expel as uh, as many as they uh, reasonably could. So yeah, I think your characterization is. Uh, you know, we, there are caveats we can add, maybe, but uh, by by and large, I think it, it's certainly far closer to the truth than the traditional uh, Israeli narrative. Yeah, and uh, wh- one of the key talking points of Hasbara, meaning pro-Israel propaganda, is that uh, the Jewish state is just a tiny state in the midst of all these different, you know, tens of millions of Arabs who have their own states. There are so many different Arab Muslim states. Yeah. What's the matter of this tiny little Jewish state in their midst? And and it reminds me of gay marriage. There there are comparatively few gay marriages, but as someone, I, I believe in a traditional heterosexual one man, one woman definition of marriage. So even the right. existence of, you know, one gay marriage in California would bother me. It, it causes me, me pain. And so too, I understand the sentiments of Arabs and Muslims in the Middle East that they can't make peace with with land that they have have historical claim to, in addition to the Jewish claims, and can't make peace with with uh, the the Jewish state that was established in their midst, and their own people were essentially ethnically cleansed from the area, and then you've got you've got this tiny Jewish state, but in their midst on on land that they believe belongs to them, that's just as I can now understand through the help of your book why this is this is not just not just a part of their intellectual hero system, but it's something that they embody and feel that's just as real as a punch in the face that that their land and their understanding of how the universe should work has been desecrated, just as my understanding of how the the world should work has been desecrated by the existence of gay marriage. Is there anything you can say on this? I mean, I, I guess, I mean, that would, that would, uh, uh, certainly that would explain um, the uh, breakdown of the uh, Israeli-Palestinian uh, peace process in, uh, in, in uh, Camp David and uh, Tava, you know, but, you know, the, the, the Israelis thought they were being exceedingly generous uh, in what they were offering. And um, certainly in, in some regard, it wasn't as, as bad as some, some Palestinian propagandists were saying, but as far as uh, the, uh, the, the, the full uh, markers of, uh, of sovereignty, uh, you know, they didn't have the right to really like, build their own army or control their own airspace, and Israel would uh, control the, uh, the Jordan Valley, so I mean, I, I think like you know the actual like arrangement they were getting back you know most of the land, but again they still sensed I think on a visceral level that certain you know Israeli entitlement, and so even though the offer uh, might not have been uh, horrible, but you know might might have been workable, they they you know they couldn't get the the uh, they, they still sensed that that Israeli presumption. And uh, so Arafat, knowing that that's how people would feel, uh, couldn't uh, couldn't couldn't agree to it. Um, you know, and, and that same same thing goes with the uh, the refugees. You know, I mean, I, that that's that's what really makes you hopeless because that is such a symbol of what happened 
in in in, in 48 and the competing narratives about what happens and to uh, so it's so it's so core to the Palestinian cause to vindicate their narrative, their hero system through the repatriation of the refugees. But that's nothing, nothing to which Israel will ever, will ever agree. And, right. you know, so, so that, that's, I mean, right, because that's the death of their hero system. Right. I mean, um, you could take the nicest man in the world, male to female, uh, you know, transsexual, and if he, you know, came to my synagogue and he, he wanted to use the, the female bathroom, I'd be outraged. I would be almost driven to the point of, like, you know, physically throwing him out. And, and that's just because I have a particular hero system that does not believe in male to female transition. And I, I don't want what someone I, I view as a mutilated man you know, going and using a, a female bathroom in in my, you know, holy synagogue. And so I, I can understand, you know, the sentiments of the, the Arabs and the Muslims. I mean, you know, in, in their heart of hearts, none of them think, you know, Israel has any business existing. Yeah. You know, in, in, in their heart of hearts, that's for sure. And, and, and I have to say, you know, look, philosophically, I can't say their arguments are crazy. Right. Can you go, can a group after 2000 years go back and reclaim land that very distant ancestors own there? You know, uh, so again, like, it's, you know, they, the Palestinians can invoke this kind of very basic moral, comp- you know, common sense. Why should, you know, the Germans should compensate you for what they did. Why should we have to have to bear the brunt? Bear the price. So, on, on an abstract philosophical uh, level, you know, you kind of you see where they're coming from, and they they you know refuse to compromise on that at some level. Certainly, some of them might you know begrudgingly agree to some two state solution. Two state, you know, by begrudgingly you know agree to the you know Lebanese Palestinian refugees going to you know Canada or or wherever. <laughs> You know, whatever whatever arrangement might be made for them, they might kind of you know they might go along with it because at the end of the day you want to live normal lives. But yeah, in 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 their heart of hearts, they they reject it, and and you know by the same token, you know with the Israelis. So you know you, you take the most take the most left wing you know American wokester, they buy a house somewhere. And some Native American comes back and explains to them, hey, well, you know, my tribe used to live here. They were removed through, you know, trickery or force, ethnic cleansing. I want it back. Everything that happened since then was wrong, so you don't really own it, you know. You could be the most, you know, woke, left-wing, bleeding-heart person imaginable. You're not going to give away your title. And I I think, like, similarly with uh, Israel, Notwithstanding, you know, the Palestinians can come there with their keys and say, you know, I, my village used to be here. I used to live there. That may be provable and so forth. But I know, like, you know, having lived there, you know, it has become its own uh, society, its own culture. The fact that, you know, Israel's crimes are relatively, you know, recent compared to uh, a, a lot of other powers. Uh, doesn't change their basic uh, their basic feelings about this. What is that? This is Israel. This is my country. 
Uh, and, you know, A, I'm not going to move and I'm not going to agree to any radical changes that would make this uh, a binary, you know, a fully binational state. They're not going to to do that for the same reason no human would do that, even if the facts and the arguments are against them. Yeah, and uh, I'll ask you a question and answer it myself before I throw it to you so you can sure. catch your breath. So the question is, is Israel an apartheid state? I have no problem. I'm not outraged by that question. I would say, as with most such questions, that there are ways that you can view accurately and fairly view Israel as an apartheid state. And there are many, many ways that you can view Israel as completely different from South Africa, which is the most famous example of an apartheid state. So I have no problem with the question. I have no problem with the accusation. I would just look to see, okay, there are some ways that there are similarities between Israel and an apartheid state. And then there are many ways that there are dissimilarities between Israel and as an apartheid state. What are your thoughts? I, I, I largely agree with that. I think, I think it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting question that demands a nuanced uh, answer. Uh, I certainly think that if you look at uh, Israel pre-1967, which was sort of, you know, the area where my mom lived and my, uh, my relatives still uh, live, I think that the uh, apartheid accusation is, is you know, a little, a little hyperbolic. You know, you've got plenty of Arabs who are doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and they go to the same theaters, the same, the same beaches, um, the same, the same parks. Um, yeah, they go to different schools, but they, they speak different languages and have different religions, you know, as well. So that sort of, that sort of makes, makes sense. They live in different types of homes uh, because you know the the, the Arab Israelis live in extended families, so it's like fewer units with bigger. You know there are differences now. Yeah, there is discrimination certainly, like sort of you know for them to to uh, buy land or uh, get building permits. Um, I think it's it, it is probably discriminatory. You know, you know, you know, maybe with you know plausible deniability, all the land is owned by the Jewish National Fund rather than the Israeli government. So the Israeli government can say, well, we're not. We're not the ones who are discriminating. So there are various legal ruses that are used. But but at the end at the end of the day, I think I think apartheid certainly goes too far. I think I think it's too different from what happened in South Africa in too many ways uh, to make that a, a, applicable. Um, I think as far as uh, as the West Bank, I think it's you know it's largely uh accurate in that yeah you have two uh legal systems two groups with uh two different uh legal sets of rights um and um and, and when you when it comes to distribution of water or land or any other kinds of uh public decisions certainly the the jews are going to be at, a, at, a, at an advantage so yeah i think in that regard it's 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 it's, it's fairly similar you know, it's uh, it's different in certain respects. I don't, I don't think there's the racial element. You know, you know, you have you know Jews of all skin tones, all the way from you know sub-Saharan Africans to people who are indistinguishable from uh, from Western and Northern Europeans. Uh, so I don't think there's not like a racial thing. Like we can't be you know in 
this kind of you know racialized disgust that emerged in the U.S. South and maybe the U.S. generally and other places. It's not all that. It's different in that in that way. It's different from South Africa in that respect. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, from the Palestinian perspective, they would certainly, you know, the the the, the similarities would certainly loom much much larger than the the, the differences. So uh, yeah, apply it to the West Bank. I think I think that's accurate. And uh, you know, I mean, it is it is true. Like you know, certain things like the the blockading of Gaza, you know, all those checkpoints in the West Bank, that was a response to Palestinian terrorism. Like it was not always that hard to get around or to get into Israel. But, uh, you know, but that's also the result of uh, Israel's, uh, you know, settlement uh, policy and uh, and intransigence uh, generally. So, you know, uh, at the end of the day, uh, I would not, make too big of a fuss of somebody who described the occupied territories as uh as apartheid and uh gaza's often described as an open-air prison again i think that's a strong exaggeration it's it's hyperbolic i can understand why people would say that and feel that but i would i would wager that these are people who've not spent much time in a real prison so i, I don't think it's a pleasant place to live gaza but uh, it's quite far from literally living in an open-air prison. In some ways, it's more like living under a highly restrictive state such as Australia during a time of influenza, COVID influenza, where you couldn't walk more than uh, five kilometers from your home or you may not be allowed to leave your house for more than an hour. There are all sorts of states with very severe COVID restrictions that went you know, far above anything experienced by anyone in the United States, but places in Europe and in Australia. And so to uh, Gaza, it seems to me, is far on a literal level from an open-air prison. But Israel does have sovereignty over the, the, the water and you know a lot of what comes in and what goes out. So I would see that description of Gaza as an open-air prison as hyperbolic and an exaggeration to make a point. I, I have some sympathy for it, even though I don't think it in the final analysis, it's accurate. I mean, I, I think probably that comparison, I, I'm sure it, uh, you know, it obscures a, a lot. I, I think probably that that metaphor is invoked to illustrate the idea that Israel can exercise control over it, notwithstanding that it's not physically present, you know, within it in just the same way that in a prison you know the guards can occupy only a very small fraction of the total space and have little involvement in the you know the minutiae of what happens in like you know cells or rec rooms or wherever and yet still be ultimately in uh charge though there, there are certain you know way i mean you can also say well people in open air prisons you know they don't get bombed you know because of the misbehavior of, uh, of of certain individuals in that respect, I guess it's you know more more uh, egregious. Again, as as I said, it's not. I don't think that the blockade or the restrictions were imposed, you know, completely, uh, you know, gratuitously. And at the end of the day, you know, Israel always has the argument. You know, we are not dealing with uh, 
you know, pragmatic actors here that have a religious ideology, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, for a lot of, for a lot of the Gazans and probably for a lot of the, the, the Gazans who either participated in the October 7th attack or rejoice in it, the question is like, you know, are we occupied or are we not? Are we something else? You know, may, may not have been the most pressing questions because they, they, they look across the fence. You know, a lot of the Gazans are refugees uh, from pre-1948 uh, Israel. And a lot of them live in southern Israel in just those areas of the villages and kibbutzim that were attacked. So, you know, for them, like, you know, do you want to call this occupation or a prison or something else? You know, in their minds, that's our home. We're being kept out of it. That's uh, kept away from it. That's the preeminent, you know, fact, regardless of the, of the characterizations. But, you, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, for Gaza, Gaza, the Palestinians have given Israel, you know, the resounding arguments because they say you control all these things, you control our borders and so forth. But again, these are these are people who you know, in principle, you know, would would, would see any any kind of compromise as a a betrayal of their religious principles. So you know, Israel can well it cannot be faulted for refusing to negotiate with them and for for presuming that any. Any promises by them are uh, are, are are illusory. Um, so yeah, the Gaza is a it is it is it is a conundrum. Now, some people view the Arab-Israeli conflict as primarily a religious conflict. I would see it in terms as primarily a tribal conflict, just as I would primarily understand the Northern Ireland conflict as primarily a tribal conflict. They're not really. Uh, killing each other over, you know, definite, you know, various definitions of the path to salvation. Would you? What do you think? Uh, primarily tribal, primarily religious. I, I think. Well, I think, I think historically, uh, certainly tribal. You know, the the original Zionists were not particularly religious. A lot of them were atheist communists. Um, you know, I, and I, I think that uh, certainly the. Islam in uh, in old Palestine. I don't. I, I don't think they were fanatical uh, Muslims. Uh, you know, they, they seem to they lived uh, fairly peacefully among among the minority of Christians and uh, and Jews in uh, in Ottoman Palestine. So uh, religion certainly did not. You know, I don't think it played a founding a founding role. Uh, but is it is it becoming that, or if it hasn't become that yet, could it become that? Uh, I think the answer to that is unfortunately uh, yes. I mean, obviously, these conditions have bred a certain degree of fanaticism among the Palestinians, as you see in uh, in Hamas and uh, and Islamic Jihad, and well, and likewise among the. Um, the Israelis, you know, until until after the uh, the seventy three Yom Kippur War, it was all a secular leadership with you know fairly little heat paid to the religious. But it, the, the justifications for Israel's existence and for its actions became ever more uh, religious after that, and the the religious nationalists, uh, um, you know, modern Orthodox, I mean, they certainly produced more children. 
um, than do uh, than do secular uh, Israelis. The uh, ultra orthodox, even though you know originally they're not supposed to be Zionist, even, but well, they will they will side with that group. They're having more and more uh, kids, um, and to the extent they're not politically apathetic, they're probably more likely to become right wing. Um, so I think. I think it's moving in, in a direction where, uh, I mean, I guess at, at its core, you could say it's still tribal, but the the religious elements will, will, will make the the resolution of the tribal problem uh, all, all that much harder. And what are your favorite sources of information about the war? What one thing that uh, men like to do is, you know, we like to match, you know, our sources of information with other people's sources of information. And we usually take great pride in having the most accurate and profound sources of information as opposed to other people's meretricious sources of information. So where do you get your information about this conflict? Well, as with other things, I, I try to ensure that I get a variety of things. So, you know, I will read, you know, foreign policy, foreign affairs, uh, and then I'll read right-wing stuff like National Review, but I'll also read, uh, you know, Jacobin and, uh, and, and, and New Republic on the other end and uh, Current Affairs. And, uh, you know, likewise, uh, you know, watching, uh, watching, watching videos. Yeah, I you know, obviously want to know the, the mainstream uh, view, but I'll listen to, uh, you know, Palestinians uh, like Rashid uh, uh, Khalidi uh, and, and others. As well as uh, you know, various uh, various uh, Israeli uh, positions. So you know, I try to you know, I mean, there's disadvantages to that to that approach. You know, uh, you see too much nuance. You know, I don't. I'm not quite sure who bombed the hospital, whether intentionally or by accident. You know, uh, but I, you know, I I I I, I, I try not to get uh, sucked in. Uh, yeah. Finalized into 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 one perspective. I mean, both sides are are, are capable of lying. That's for sure. Now, the thing that most surprised me about this latest war is how inept the IDF was in their response on October seventh. That uh, took them ten hours at times to get to the places where Hamas militants were still in control yeah. of, of communities. It took them five days to expel. And, and finish all the fighting inside of Israel that Hamas could just pour in. I, I thought Israel was a much more where citizens had, you know, much more access to guns and, and, you know, had them at hand. And, and we right. just see Hamas just pouring in and they, they, they take out a cell phone tower and then they, they take out a military base uh, the soldiers are still in bed. They just wipe them out. They pour into various Jewish settlements, and there's you know, very little self-defense by, by the Jews. They, they overwhelmingly just get slaughtered. Uh, I was just shocked at how inept the Israeli defenses were, the IDF, the security apparatus, the, the slow, slow, slow response. Uh, that just took me aback and i when when you see such ineptness i i never think this oh this is just one off this is just a problem for october 7 i have to believe that there's you know a rottenness and a lack of expertise and a lack of diligence and a lack of 
competence all through the Israeli security apparatus and political apparatus. And I would suspect that because a large part of the Israeli government does not believe in secular education and they are for funding Haredim to avoid national service and to avoid secular education, that this strikes me as like the most incompetent Israeli government that we've ever had. And I'm right wing, so I'm pleased that it's right wing. I'm not pleased that it's so incompetent. The incompetence of the Israeli response to these attacks has just done me. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, the Haredim are, of course, a, a, a big problem. I mean, I, you know, I think they're parasites. I know that might be seen, seen as you know, anti-Semitic, but, I mean, they don't contribute anything, and they siphon off, you know, the budget, and they don't contribute. So, you know, them, you know, they got special privileges at the inception of the state, but at that point, it was a few years after the Holocaust. You only had 400 of them. So, like, of course, we're going to internal Jewish learning and give them the privileges they need uh, to do that. But of course, now they're like a much bigger percentage of the population. Uh, it's not at all the, the same thing. But um, as to your larger point, yeah, I mean, that is, yeah, I mean, the original image of the, uh, you know, the Spartan uh, Israeli, a true fighter, um, kind of a communitarian, um, you know that yeah that that's the original Israel. I don't know that that may be accurate for the times, but the fact is that over the years, Israel has become richer and richer. Its technological and economic and geopolitical uh, advantages over its rivals uh, have only increased. Um, you know, right now the the per capita. GDP of, of Israel is higher than Germany's, wow. you know, where, you, you know, 40 years ago, it was still a developing country. Um, so I think, yeah, there, there, I think there's that, probably a certain fear in the heart of Israel, of, uh, of Israelis that sort of their, their fiber, their character, uh, however you choose to characterize it, um, is sort of being, being undermined uh, by the various success as, uh, as, as, as a country, you know, um, and, you know, conversely, you, you put Palestinians in a, uh, you know, I have nothing to lose situation. Well, that's, that's bound to, uh, to breed a, uh, a certain, a certain fortitude. Um, and, you know, so that's, I think, I don't know the details of why certain systems didn't work or why certain assumptions and not others were made, uh, you know. We'll know that uh, in, in time when there's uh, an investigation and hopefully the, the uh, Netanyahu regime is, is ejected. But we can speak in broad strokes, at least right, right now. And yeah, it's the, you know, the ar arrogance and, uh, and hubris of uh success we've we've you know we've prevailed over the arabs you know again and again with this high tech uh superpower yeah it's sort of the air the arrogance of uh of, of success the enervating effects of uh prosperity perhaps as as well that's kind of yeah i think that's, that's a, a dilemma you know any kind of uh you know, 
that just that just like comes that is a natural concomitant of it of his real success in so many spheres is that its original self art image as these like Spartan hyper competent warriors uh, gets 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 undermined. And uh, Israelis were, you know, almost at each other's throats uh, two and a half weeks ago prior to this attack. It just been convulsed by the Netanyahu administration's desire for reconfiguring the Israeli judicial system. And so do you think that this, that this uh, controversy and attention over the Israeli judicial system, it, it, it had to have suck time away there's only so much time in the day i'll be very honest i don't think about palestinian suffering it's not because i I view them as any less human any less valuable in god's eyes it's just i have a limited amount of time i have a high intensity commitment to orthodox judaism and so most of my care and concern goes to those those commitments and not to what's going on with with outgroups if if you've got the people running israel who are convulsed by controversy over the judicial system, that is time in a zero-sum section that you are not thinking about, you know, keeping Israel safe from external attack. Any thoughts? That may be the case. I think we'll have to wait to find out what the ultimate explanation is. So, yeah, it's possible, as you suggest, that the leadership was so uh, consumed with these other issues that... uh, when you know intelligence officials came forth with uh, uh, reasons for concern, they just disregarded it. That's certainly that's certainly possible. You know, it's also possible that in, in setting up these various uh, you know sensor systems, um, people were very uh, you know uh, over overconfident, underestimating the the Palestinians' ability to uh, to innovate. Uh, certainly, uh, it's it's beyond beyond the distractedness. The there's also the uh, the slavish, uh, you know. I mean, one of the one of the, the 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 issues that soldiers who should have been guarding southern Israel from Gaza were in the West Bank, protecting uh, you know settlers uh, and their 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 big you know festivities, which I, I would suspect were 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 calculated to provoke uh, the Palestinians. So that that in the mind of, of secular Israelis. Just you know, it highlights uh, what's wrong with the Netanyahu, you know, administration with you know Smotrich and uh, Ben Gavir and uh, and, uh, and 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 that uh, that 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 elk, you know. At, at the end of the day, you have to say, you know, Israel's uh, attacks on Gaza are justified with a refrain: "Well, Israel has the right to defend itself." Of course, nobody, no reasonable person uh, disputes that, except for the the hard left. But it was Israel itself that failed to exercise that right in failing to prevent October 7th. You know, it's not as though had the IDF and the intelligence agencies been functioning properly, had enough soldiers been where they should have been, easily Israel would have been able to repel even, you know, 1,500 Hamas fighters. It's not like Hamas was such an overwhelming force. It was because of the Israeli incompetence. But 
now, of course, there's the guilt and shame over the incompetence, the desire to expiate the incompetence. And so now, well, we have to we have to destroy Hamas. Uh, we have to even even at, at a huge civilian toll because of our right to defend ourselves. But you're, it's, 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 a, it's a performative enactment of that right. Because the right to defend themselves was should have been on October 7th. It should have been with competent preparation. And certainly the Netanyahu administration and all their ilk, they have you know, every incentive to try to channel the public's fury away from themselves towards Gaza. They know that the instant this war ends, whatever that, whenever that is, uh, however the situation, then the fury of the public turns on them. So they want to they want to direct as much fury towards the Palestinians, hoping at least some of that fury dissipates before it has to turn back on on them. I mean, the the bombing of Gaza will not bring back the victims of October 7th. Only competent management could have done that by preventing it, but it was it was not prevented. And that's ultimately at the feet of, uh, of, of Netanyahu, whatever the precise explanation, whether it would be uh, distraction or arrogance or uh, uh, obsequiousness to the... Uh, the hard religious settler, right? Whatever the explanation, you know, the, as Truman says, you know, the buck starts st- stops here. It stops with Netanyahu. Now, I was surprised after 9-11 that there wasn't more revulsion among Americans at uh, America's entanglement with, with Israel and with the Middle East that seemed to have precipitated the, the 9-11 attacks. Uh, we, we, you surprised that uh, Americans didn't revolt at uh, what what I would understand as unnecessary levels of American involvement in the Middle East that, that precipitated this these nine eleven attacks and and precipitate unnecessary Arab Islamic loathing of the United States in general. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's hard it's hard to say. You know, what is the source of the Islamist uh, loathing of? Um... Of, of the U.S. I mean, you could say, well, is it, is it, it's, you know, it's support for, uh, for Israel. You know, I'm not, I, 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 I suppose uh, that's, that's probably part of it. Though I think, you know, Bin, Bin Laden, I mean, his official, at least uh, the 91 attack on the World Trade Center, or 93, like the, you know, the, the, the parking lot bombing that preceded it. Um, and I think I'm, I think I think 9/11 as well. I mean, they didn't like the idea that you had, you know, U.S. troops on uh, on Islamic uh, on Islamic soil. You know, um, I mean, I I, I you know, so the, the formal justification I don't think had that much to do for uh with with israel but uh you know israel's kind of a lightning rod in the sense that i mean for i think for a lot of these islamists i mean it is the uh, the the problem is that this this you know decadent christian civilization is ascendant over the true faith uh islamic civilization and you know the the israeli-palestinian conflict 
is an emanation of that insofar as you know israel though not consisting in uh in christians are still kind of uh, uh an emanation of the western european uh culture the western culture um so you certainly have um those people um you know i don't i don't i mean would 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 9-11 not have happened if i mean this was the time i think uh really like right after the the end of the uh, peace talks after the collapse of uh of oslo in uh in camp david you know i don't i don't know if uh, all of the muslims world's problems with modernity can be reduced to you know u.s uh u.s support for uh for Israel. I mean, you know, but I think even like US support for Israel, I mean, it's significant, certainly, but it gets, it gets exaggerated in the public eye. Like, you know, people, a lot of people think that the entire, you know, Israel economy is on, uh, you know, life support sustained by uh, the United States. You know, that's really not the case. You have a, you know, they get $3.8 billion a year, which is certainly a a sizable chunk of change, no question, but you've got a, a GDP of $500 billion. You know, it's less than 1% of the GDP. It's not like, you know, Israel couldn't do anything without, you know, U.S. support. You know, U.S. Uh, became a big supporter of Israel only really after the 67 war. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, look at human nature you've got to um people are are driven by their hero systems but in justifying the actions that their hero systems require you know they can't forthrightly acknowledge those those hero systems because that highlights their contingency so you need you know you always need some sort of pragmatic or pseudo pragmatic explanation for you know what you're why you're doing what you're doing and with the islamists it's the u.s support for israel's oppression of the palestinians and I, i'm not i'm not going to say there's no i'm not going to say that that's played no role but i think again if you have a a sophisticated human psychology then you've got to be suspicious maybe there's certain you know underlying drives and you know to justify those consciously you need to seize on certain things that are that are available uh for use so you know not that u.s actions have have no effect but whatever effect they have you know has is refracted through you know culture and religion and and history now at harvard university i think uh the the day after the attacks, or maybe even the, the day of yeah. the attacks, about 25 uh, student groups immediately came out with a statement saying that uh, the entire blame for these Hamas attacks on Israeli civilians, which we now know killed over 1,400 or taken over 250 hostages, uh, that the entire blame lies with Israel. So that doesn't raise my blood pressure one beat because these people are just acting out of their hero system in a time of war and conflict. I would expect people to just instinctively side with their side. I don't see these people as, as really trying to communicate that uh, 
that uh, slaughtering you know civilians is okay. They are in a time of conflict, just immediately siding with their team. It also doesn't raise my blood pressure one beat that uh, then various billionaires said, well, we want these students' names so that we can blacklist them from ever being employed. I, I think that's a perfectly valid, rational response. Then uh, the, the names of any of these students were publicly revealed and uh, photos were put up on, say, a truck that drove around the Harvard campus. That, yeah, that I remember that. Yeah, that, again, that doesn't bother me. If you want to take a controversial stand, then then I, I don't care if your name and, and photo is re released. Now, if someone punched someone for writing that letter, you know, let alone any more you know, physical attack, you know, a criminal assault like that, then that would raise my blood pressure. I would be uh, opposed and appalled at that. But prior to the committing of any criminal behavior, you know, I think I, I'm A-OK -okay with how all sides acted. One side immediately rushing to identify with their team, then the other side immediately rushing to make sure that they inflict as much legal uh, pain on the, the other side as they can. So any thoughts on the Harvard uh, controversy? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, you know, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of criticism of various left-wing groups saying, you know, they have like, you know, they're openly sympathetic to uh, Hamas. They celebrate the massacre of, uh, of October 7th. And uh, th that is certainly, that's an accurate characterization of, uh, of certain statements or symbolic gestures by certain groups. I agree that with, with Harvard, it was, uh, you know, a little more nuanced than that. There's an Israeli, Israel is responsible for this entire situation and therefore for the actions of, uh, of Hamas. That's not quite the same thing as, uh, uh, celebrating the, the 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 atrocities, so I guess I wouldn't. I, I probably would wouldn't put things the way they did, but I would distinguish between that kind of uh, of causal explanation and uh, uh, actual celebration of the uh, of the atrocities. As far as the, uh, the truck that went around uh, Harvard and uh, publicized their name, well, I think you know. As long as you are accurately uh, characterizing um, what they said, I think that's okay. You know, if you quote the exact, you know, letter or rel the relevant representative portion uh, thereof, and you say, "Well, these people signed under that," yeah, that's that that that's really fine. You know, if you say, like, you know, they celebrate, you know, the Hamas attacks. Um, and you list their names. Well, I mean that's that's potentially defamatory. I mean we can we can certainly have that as an interpretation of their statements, but that is just an interpretation. You have to actually, if you're going to accuse them of that, you do have to provide the uh, you have to demonstrate concretely what exactly they said, and then everybody can can form their own opinion about uh, what that what that means. Um, so yeah, I, with those with those. Uh, caveats you know i don't i don't get easily outraged either right i mean all, all sides pretty much acting within the law are completely understandable freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences of your speech these are yeah. our adults these aren't 13 year olds right uh, so uh do you do you see possibilities for much wider conflict here or do you think this is going to be pretty limited 
Um, I, I, that will be in the hands of, uh, of, of Israel to a significant extent, you, you know. I mean, this can't be uh, a year-long war. I mean, if, if only for Israel's sake, if, uh, if, if, if for no other reason. Um, you know, there's been, there's one argument out there. I'm not quite sure what to make of it, but it's, it sounds reasonable to me that, you know, Hezbollah and Iran knew, you know, the extent, more or less knew the extent of, of Israel's reaction to the strike. And so, you know, if, if their goal uh, was to enter the war against Israel, why not do it uh, on October 7th when Israel was at, at its weakest uh, rather than now when, uh, when, it's, when it's ready? Um, you know, uh, so far, uh, yeah, okay, Hezbollah, they, they fire a few rockets here and there, a few shells here and there. That's to be expected. Uh, but no, no indications uh, that they actually want to uh, want to escalate. You know, um, they would Lebanon would be dev- would be devastated if there was uh, if there was an escalation. Uh, yeah, you know they had certain successes in the two thousand six war. Israel didn't perform that well in certain respects, but you know, at the end of the day, you know Israel has more and better bombs. That's that's kind of you know it's a lot of what it comes down to. So I'm not uh, you know I'm 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 moderately uh, worried. I don't I don't think uh, a conflagration is uh, inevitable. Though like you know who knows things change from day to day. I, I could I could change my mind by next week. So a very common part of the American hero system is that uh, people are individuals. They should be judged and. And only punished as individuals, but the way the world works is that uh, we are not primarily seen. None of us are primarily seen as individuals. Uh-huh. We are primarily seen as representatives of tribes and groups. And uh, groups suffer. You know, groups get punished and groups get rewarded. So we have a Jewish state. Uh, go all Jews everywhere in the world are going to be more of a, a target for people who are displeased with the actions of a Jewish state than if there was no Jewish state. So we have the theoretical ideal, particularly in America and other Anglo nations, that uh, people are primarily individuals. That's also the classical liberal notion to bring it back to your book. But uh, that's not the way the world usually works. People are not primarily seen as individuals. They are primarily seen as members of tribes and nations. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, that's... that's, um... That's why it was possible for uh, for Hamas to do what it did. Uh, that's why it was possible for the uh, no less than the president of uh, of, of Israel um, to uh, Herzog to say, well, you know, there's this, this distinction between Palestinian you know militants and uh, civilians is really kind of bogus. They're all implicated. Uh, yeah. That is, uh, that is our uh, evolutionary uh, default mechanism. That's what works in the, in the ancestral environment. And uh, that remains a, 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 a powerful uh, impulse to this day, notwithstanding uh, our, our attempts to uh, restrain that impulse 
and uh, and see people as individuals, which is I, I agree it is a, a kind of a uh, uh, an artificial uh, civilizational uh, imposition, something that you know runs against our uh, default uh, instincts, and you you see that you see its artificiality uh, precisely in these uh, in these times of uh, of stress and uh, and fear and uh, and certain and uncertainty uh, such as we're now witnessing. Right, and an- another part of that individualist liberal outlook is that uh, meaning, purpose, and morality can be decided by the buffered individual, you know, separate from everybody else. And the traditional perspective is that we are not primarily individuals; we're primarily members of tribes and nations, and that uh, meaning, purpose, and morality exist outside of ourselves. And it is our duty to, you know, fulfill the the dictates of the group, the tribe, the nation, the the, the religion, the the you know the entity of which we are just one part, you know, exists outside of us, and and it lists out what is meaningful, what is purposeful, what is heroic, you know, what is what is right and wrong, and uh, I mean, that that is how the people in this war are experiencing things. They are not individually by and large making up you know their own meaning and purpose and definition of what's heroic and right they are almost all buying into you know their different group uh, hero systems and so yeah conflicts like this someone at synagogue asked me when this was going down is tell me something good that comes out of this conflict and i said well it returns us to reality and and part of reality is that uh, we inherit inherit our hero system from our group and that uh, you know, without our group, without our, our ties to other people, you know, we are not we. Like, we are unknowable without, you know, outside of our, our tribe or our, our group, generally speaking. And so it just kind of, this the, the corporate, re, inherent corporate response to events of, of great conflict and tension, like uh, this Israel versus Hamas war, yeah. kind of re- reveals so much of the inadequacy and the shortcomings of the classical liberal enlightenment view that we are primarily individuals who can decide meaning and morality and heroism all by our lonesomes. Yeah, you know, you know, for sure. I, you know, I can, I can sit here in this conversation and, you know, articulate the Arab side of things in a, uh, in a, in a, in a I think a reasonable and a charitable way, you know, and, and, and acknowledge where they're coming from. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if, you know, as I mentioned, you know, my, my family is in the middle of Israel. And if, you know, war, you know, breaks out with Hezbollah, I, you know, I, I will want, you know, the, the Israeli Air Force to inflict as much damage as is necessary on Lebanon to stop that, you know. And you can have your, you know, calculations of, you know, utilitarianism and human rights and 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 and, and all that. But yeah, we've got we've got these uh, primitive attachments to uh, to the group. And uh, yeah, again, as I said, yeah, they 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 can be subdued uh, to a certain extent, but uh, they're always going to be there. Now, I mean, does that mean that because it's in some way our default state, let's concede it is, it's kind of, you know, it's our original state. It, it, it kind of feels right, you know, it gets our uh, 
dopamine going? I mean, does that mean it cannot be restrained to you know any extent? Well, you know, obviously it has been to a, a significant extent. So, you know, what are we? Uh, I, I guess I would throw that back at you. Like, even if I agree that you know this traditionalist view in some way better acknowledges, better encapsulates our default human nature. Uh, certainly our, our, our default human nature uh, is not uh, all, all we are also. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. There, there are many benefits to the, to the liberal, you know, buffered, rational, strategic, autonomous sense of self because precisely when I go on a live stream and critique the liberal, buffered, rational, uh, autonomous strategic sense of self, I am operating from within a largely liberal strategic buffet autonomous sense of self when I critique it because I, I right. try to do these live streams from as objective and strategic and autonomous uh, sense of self as, as possible. So there, there are many life situations where the liberal conception of the self is simply more adaptive. If you're going to be a professional working in you know, corporate America or in also in academia, there are all sorts of areas of life where a liberal conception of self will better serve you than yeah. a trad sense of self. I am not going to stand here and publicly say words which could forever haunt me from my embodied, you know, tribal self. That would be a disaster. Yeah. Um, so what was I going to say? Um, Am I feeling myself? Can I? Can I feel like I could move in and out somewhat of the the uh, strategic, autonomous, you know, reflexive, liberal, you know, conception of the self, and right. and you know, which I kind of put on when I'm doing a live stream. I don't choose my words as carefully when I'm with friends at at synagogue. There, I'm having a much more embodied tribal experience of life. So, right. do you think I'm feeling myself that one can move? you know, somewhat in and out of the, these different senses of the self. Right. Well, so I guess I, I would say that in, in, in a sense, when I think about, you know, what drove me to write conservative claims of cultural uh, oppression, it wasn't to, you know, endorse conservative traditionalism per se, but to make resistance to liberalism uh, comprehensible. Yeah. Which was itself a, a liberal aspiration. Like, you know, it yeah. is seen as this obtuse, you know, malice uh, coming coming out of nowhere. Uh, but it does come from somewhere. Uh, you know, whatever your ultimate moral calculus may be, it does come from, from somewhere, our, our default human nature. Uh, and you've got, which, you know, people may or may not, you know, suspend to various degrees depending on their social position, but you've got to understand that's where it's uh, it's coming from. And in, in the same way that uh, liberals are, uh, you know, they're very understanding. You know, why is there a higher black crime rate? Well, the list, you know, the various historical and social explanations uh, for it, and you know, any any kind of uh, bad bad decision or counterproductive uh, behavior, which the, uh, the underprivileged might, might 
make they'll have a uh, you know readily a uh, ready causal explanation which uh, may be may be accurate in 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 many cases but uh, yeah there was uh, an unwillingness to extend that same uh, level of, uh, of of understanding uh, to uh, to conservatives and uh, you know their their condition is is our default human nature uh, which is just like weighs heavier in some people for, than, than others for whatever random reasons that might that might might explain that doesn't really matter uh, and so again it was to make make this kind of uh, liberal bleeding heart understanding to to extend that uh to to conservatives and, and, and when you go from that you know that people can, can judge that for themselves so so i i feel like i can move out of a more or no reflexive sense of self for example i had a girlfriend who while we were having sex she would sometimes implore me to fuck her like a whore and so I would, and so I had no reflexive sense. I, I quit caring about her and what she wanted in any way. I just purely indulged my own animal passions. I completely right. moved out of any reflexive, uh, compassionate, you know, conversational, mutual sense of self. I was just a, a beast. So do, do we have the capacity to move out of, you know, various senses of self? On the other hand, when I'm doing this show now, I think about what would my friends at synagogue say? What would my family say? What would, you know, my clients say? What would strangers on a bus say if they, you know, saw this video and then they, you know, met me at a, a restaurant or a coffee shop or some woman that I might date, you know, three months from now. So right now I have a highly reflexive sense of self. I try to see myself from the outside and how my, my words can be interpreted in di by different people in different situations. I have a courtier yeah. sense of morality as I speak to you, but there are plenty of times in my life where I completely lose that courtier sense of morality, that reflexive sense of self, and I just have, you know, a primal embodied experience. What do you think? Do we move out of these different senses of self? Well, I guess, I mean, that would be the ideal, right? That sort of since as, you know, we can't, we can't deny this animal nature. Can we at least, you know, funnel it or channel it in a, in a, in a, in a productive way? And I guess, you know, I mean, I would, I would think, you know, to the extent that this is, uh, this is sort of, uh, this mode of uh, relationship is, 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 is agreed upon, you know, that's like a, a classic, uh, you know, that kind of illustrates the, the ideal of, well, we're not at some level, of course, we're bound by these, uh, moral principles they've become you know part of us but so too is our ancestry and i guess your example is uh, an example of the two being uh coordinated in a, in a manageable fashion so i would have i would have no problem with that and also if i were primarily spending my time in an academic environment i would take on more of the academic liberal understanding of self as opposed to if I were primarily spending my time among Orthodox Jews, I would take on more of a traditional sense of self. I mean, we, we do change. I, ha I had periods of my life where I was quite left-wing when I was at college, and I took, I must have, you know, unconsciously taken on the, the perspective of this, you know, disembodied, reflexive, buffered sense of self, and then in other environments, you know, reverted to a more tribal sense of self. So it is entirely possible for 
people to move out in and out depending on the situations that they place themselves in because we all want to get along. We all want to be successful. We all want to feel a part of things. And if the only way to feel a part of things is to take on a particular uh, orientation to, to life, we're highly incentivized to do that. Yeah, well, that's, that's you know, being being buffered and reflexive and disengaged is kind of a privilege. It's something that you are, uh, we can do in certain circumstances, but maybe not others and maybe not most. And that's, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, some people are going to be in a, in a situation where, you know, they can be buffered 80% of the time, uh, but others, others, not at all. And exactly there, that's this, uh, this, 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 this resentment, I guess, against the elites, you know, people who uh, live in such a way, privileged to live in such a way, they can, they can be, you know, continuously buffered and it's still a source of uh, a meeting. And then whenever they see others sort of uh, surrendering to something uh, more, more primitive, you know, in whatever, whatever context, uh, less reflexive, they, uh, they scoff at it, but they are, they're privileged uh, to do so. Right. Okay. Uh, any any final words? Anything that you want to hit before we wrap up for today? I think I'm good, uh, but we should uh, we'll reconvene in a while. See, uh, you know, updates to the war, updates to uh, SBF when they when they arise. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, Ronnie. Take care, All man. Right, great talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.